Good morning, church. The book of the word. This morning, Jackie's going to hit a rich pocket of gold, I believe. So if you'd please open your word to Hebrews chapter 7. We see some typologies and some just some rich, rich things that are scattered from the whole council of the word of God. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was the first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor the end of life, but made like the son of God, he abides a priest perpetually. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. And in this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received the tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek? and not be designated according to the order of Aaron. Father God, we give you this time in your word, and we ask that you would bless your obedient vessel, Jackie, Lord, that um, he delivers your message. Lord, bless him and keep him. We thank you for him, and may you open the the deep soil of our hearts and our minds today with your word in Jesus' precious, precious name. Amen. Well, for uh, a few weeks now, the writer of Hebrews has been trying to get us to comprehend and understand this concept that was uh, broken in Scripture in Genesis 14 the first time, and in Psalm 110 the second time, and then in Hebrews, separated by hundreds of years each one. And as we look at it, there's a point that the, that the writer of Hebrews is making. He, he wants us to understand, and we talked the last couple of weeks, right, about being willing to enter into the land, to, to enter into all that God has for us, right? Not like those guys who came to the edge of the promised land and turned away and said, no, I'm not going to go, who all died in the wilderness, right? So the, some estimates have it at 600,000 men, and of those 600,000 men, God was pleased with two of them. That's not great odds, right? And none of us are saying, you know, I want to be like those 599,998 guys, I don't know about you, but when I watch a, when I watch a movie or read a book, I don't want to be the sidekick in a book. I don't want to be the guy who's, who's the, 
the I want to I, I read my I want to be the hero. And what's the point? What's the point if if that's not our goal? If that's not who we want to would like to be like or who we'd like to follow? And so the writer is laying this out for us. Man, we want to go. We want to cross. We want to go into the land. We want to have all that God has for us. And we see a, a number of examples of of men who who didn't make it. Moses himself didn't make it. The children of Israel for that, that generation, they, they didn't make it. We're reminded of Esau who didn't make it. But then at the end of chapter 6, he tells us about somebody who did. He tells about Abraham. You remember? The Bible tells of Abraham in, 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 uh, in Genesis uh, chapter 15. It says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Abraham just trusted God's word, God's promise. He put his faith in him, which is exactly what God was looking for from the children of Israel. But you know, if the faith that's never been tested, I don't know if it's really faith. So what happens a few chapters later, Abraham's received the promise of a son, took 25 years. He's a hundred years old when his son is born. Now we're probably looking 20 years past that at least. And God comes to Abraham, whom Abraham said, I trust you, God, and I believe in you, and my hope is in you. And God said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, the one you love, and offer him as a burnt offering to me on a mountain that I will show you. And you know, the Bible says Abraham just got up, took his son, and went. That he took his son to Mount Moriah, a part of that range today, it goes by a, a name you're familiar with. Golgotha. You heard of that place? How about this one? Calvary. You heard of that, right? That's on Mount Moriah, in the range of Mount Moriah. He takes his son up there, and, and because he believed God, because he, he trusted God, his knife lifted up. He, he raised, I can't even imagine doing it, but he trusted God that much that he lifted that knife and God said, stop. Now I know. Now I know. And he told Abraham this incredible promise. He said, man, because you're willing to go where I send you and do what I ask you to do, no matter what it is, Messiah is going to come through you. And God will provide himself the lamb. On this mountain, it shall be provided. So, a thousand years later, I don't know the time, Jesus walks into the eastern gate in Jerusalem. He weeps over the city because the city didn't know the day of their visitation. He goes in and is tested for four days by the by the scribes and the Pharisees, and ultimately he is drugged to the quarry on Mount Moriah, where they cut all the stones. And as they cut all the stones out of the quarry, it created a skull. It became known as the place of the skull. And on the same mountain, where Abraham had acted it out, God offered his only son, to make us whole and clean. To provide a relationship that we can have with Almighty God. So that His Son, Jesus Christ, would be able to put His hand in my hand and His hand in God's hand and bridge the gap between us. To have what Job said he wanted. Someone to stand in the gap between me and God. Jesus Christ became that. The writer of Hebrews began telling us about the supremacy of Christ from chapter 1. Chapter 2, he said, look, but don't neglect your salvation. You've been saved, but don't neglect it. Don't just let it die on a vine. He says, we don't want to be those who are drifting. We don't want to be those who are lazy. Chapter 3, he gives us the example, right, of the, of the children of Israel standing at Kadesh Barnea. In, in chapter 4, he calls us not to have a heart of unbelief, a hardened heart that doesn't trust God. Because sometimes life don't look like it looks in the picture books that we colored in Sunday school, no? The Sunday school answers don't work all the time? 
Yeah, sometimes they don't, right? And we shouldn't hide from all that stuff. God, it, God's not the one who told us those things. We take his word. What's his word tell us? His word tells us life will be hard, didn't it? But I'll be with you. Life will be hard, but I'll be with you. Don't have a heart of unbelief. Chapter 5, he goes on. Chapter 6, he tells us, look. He gives us the, the third of five warning passages where he tells us, don't get left in the wilderness because you don't want to go on with God. And his point is, I want to introduce you to the importance of why it's important that Jesus Christ is our high priest. That he's the way. You remember that Jesus said that, right? I am the way, truth, and the life. Who comes to the Father? Nobody comes to the Father except how? Through Him. we gotta, we got to come through Jesus Christ. Now, just hold on to that mindset for a minute. The wilderness, remember we, we, we had the example, the children of Israel in the wilderness couldn't enter in, died in the wilderness. God still took care of them. God still gave them manna. God still fed them, gave them water from the rock, but they didn't enter in to all that God had for them. We go 40 years down the line, that generation has passed away, except for Joshua and Caleb. And now they're coming to the land to cross into the land. They're standing at the Jordan River, which is at flood stage. It's, it's wide, it's long, and they got a lot of people to get across. And just, just over a little ways from where they're at, there's, a, there's Jericho. They can see Jericho, the city with the big walls. And God says, now this is how I want you to go into the land this time. Think. He say, let the priests go first. And they'll bear the ark. And when their feet get wet, I'll stop up the water. And you can walk across on dry land. So the priests, they go down to the water. They step into the water. The water stops. It's heaped up. And they stay there while the children of Israel go across. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're told that all of these things happen for our admonition. As examples to us. Well, what's the example? This is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to see. That our way in... It's not our willpower. It's just by following our priest. Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 6. The last verse of chapter 6. What's it say? He is our forerunner. He's going before us. He's stopping of the water so that we can walk across. He's providing a way so that we can have all the things that God has promised us. And we spend so much of our life frustrated that we don't have it, that we're not experiencing that's not how life is. And I'm not suggesting that your life won't be hard, that your heart won't get broke, that bad things won't happen. But what I am suggesting is maybe part of what we're missing is we're not willing to go across. Everything in that picture, the the Levites, the ark, all of it points to Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews is telling us, look, I want you guys to think about Melchizedek. I want you to think about this priesthood that I'm going to liken to Christ in a few verses. I want you to think about it because he's the way. Because he's the truth. Because he's the life. And maybe we got the easy part over with, which is we say, Lord, I believe. But you're going to have your day like Abraham too. Where God tells you, take your son, your only son, the one that you love, and you give him to me. Now I doubt that God's going to call you to do a burnt offering like Abraham did. But it's not beyond the realm of possibility for tragedy to strike in your family. And for God to say through your tears, he's mine. Give them to me. It's not beyond the realm of possibility that through illness that God would whisper into your ears, He, she, they are mine. Give them to me. And what we said before on Sunday, Lord, I believe. 
is now being lived out in the reality to show us which group am I? The ones who follow the priest to the water? Or the ones who say, I can't go. I can't get there. And God allows those things in our life just so you have to look at it. Because He loves you. And He wants you to look. Where are I? Where, where am I really? Where, where am I at in this concept? Is it real? Because up until, guys, the, the, you're in the mud and the blood and all the junk around you. Until you're in that, it's all theory. And it needs to move from theory to reality. And the way it does that is by following our high priest who's made a way where there was no way. He makes a way where there is no way. I I could tell you stories from now to the end of the day about times where God made a way, incredible heartache and heartbreak and and the situation didn't go away. I don't have any God raised him from the dead stories. God hasn't given me those. He's given me the, I raised the father from the dead after his son died. And his heart was just ripped out of his chest. And I watched a dad in a hospital lift his hands to heaven and say, Though you slay me, I will praise you. I don't know how you do that. I'm not sure I could have done it. But I realized in that moment, Jesus was being faithful to his promise. You say you believe it, I'll give it to you. Just follow me across. Just follow me across. Untold heartache that God is able. Look, we, we look at, our, uh, at the reality of life and we say, man... Reality doesn't always match up what I, what I think it's going to look like. But what I do know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that Jesus Christ is my way through it. Because the scripture told me from a little teenage boy who wrote about his sheep. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't say, yea, though I theorize about what it's like. What did he say? I walk through it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What? I'll fear no evil. Why? You are with me. That's the promise, man. What did he tell the children of Israel? Standing at Kadesh Barnea who wouldn't go. Don't be afraid of the giants. Don't be afraid of the stuff that's over there. Yeah, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But I am with you. Is that enough for you? It needs to be. Sometimes we say, well, I, I can, that, that's enough for me if, 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 if you give me this too. Or if, or if I can have that. Well, then you answered the question, right? Will you follow Jesus to the promised land? He's crossed. He's gone ahead of us. He's our priest. That's what chapter 7 is all about. So, In chapter 7, in these first 10 verses, he talks about the superiority of Melchizedek. And we think, I don't really understand why we're going into this Melchizedek guy. Well, think with me. Think. Consider. Think. In the beginning, what do we talk about? The superiority of who? Jesus. Now, in chapter 7, we're going to talk about the superiority of Melchizedek. And what do you think is going to happen in chapter 8? Yeah, those are going to come together. What do you mean? That the Bible tells us that Jesus is our high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Like Melchizedek, he becomes a type, a picture. Remember I told you the children of Israel coming to the bank of the Jordan River when the priest walked in. What is it? It's a type. It's a picture of who? Jesus. Who does what? Who makes a way. He makes a way for us. The Bible is full of these pictures, these paintings that God gives us. In verse 1 it says, For this... Melchizedek. This one that we're talking about. In chapter 6, verse 20, it says, Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever. How long? (coughs) All right, so we don't need another one. 
having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And then he's going to talk about Melchizedek. This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. I don't know if you know, this is an incredible story. Sometimes we think the Bible tells the story of the Jews. And while there is the story of the Jews in the Bible, that's not its purpose. The Bible tells us the story of the redemption of man. How God redeems mankind. For example, if I told you there was a character in the Bible named Balaam. You guys heard of him? Come on. You know the guy who, who talked to his donkey? Okay, now I see more faces. Oh yeah, I remember that guy. Got to get everything in context, right? So you got Balaam. Where did he come from? The Bible says he's a prophet of the, of, of, of the Lord God. Well, where did he come from? He just appears. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. How did he come to know God? How did God call him as a prophet? How did God place him in, in the place? We know what happened to him after we're introduced to him, but we don't know the, the story before that. Guys, Melchizedek is a Canaanite. He's a Canaanite. He lived in a city called Salem. Salem, the king of Salem. A Canaanite city held by the Jebusites. In fact, there was a a line of Jebusite kings. One of them's name was Adonai Zedek. That sounds familiar, right? Melchizedek. Adonai Zedek. Adonai means Lord Zedek Righteousness. The king's name was the Lord of Righteousness. Hmm, weird. That city was on a mount called Zion. You familiar with that word? It was a place that became known as the city of David. And today, we know it by Jerusalem. Melchizedek comes out of this city. He is the king of Salem. His name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. Interesting little notes. His name is, means king of righteousness. He's the king of Salem. In fact, in Psalm 76, verse 1 and 2, here's what, here's what David had to write about these guys. He said, In Judah, God is known, and his name is great in Israel. His abode has been established in Salem, and his dwelling place in Zion. They knew about God in Salem before it was Jerusalem when it was under the Canaanite kings and there was a priest there named Melchizedek who was called the priest after El Elyon, God Most High. That's it. Where did he come from? We don't know. We don't know where he came from. We don't know where he went. All we know about him is what the scripture lays out for us. Rabbi Ishmael in 135 BC said, he did a bunch of mathematics and he came up with the idea that this is Shem. One of the kids of Noah. That this was Shem. That Shem would have lived that long. And, and so he settled down in this city. That, so he thought that Melchizedek was Shem. Uh, there's another guy. Let me give you his name because I'll never remember it. Origen thought he was an angel. Herakas in the 3rd century thought it was uh, the Holy Spirit in the flesh. A lot of people believe it's a Christophany, an appearance of Christ, before Christ comes. There's several of those in the scripture. I'm not like any of those guys. I'm weird. I think it's Melchizedek. Now you say, oh, come on, Jackie, there's, there's lots of evidence and stuff. I, I, I know, I know. But I, I just don't understand why, give me the name. Hey, here's the guy's name, Melchizedek. So I'm going to just run with it, it's Melchizedek. And remember, you can have coffee with the preacher on Monday morning at 7, and <laughs> tell me why I'm full of malarkey. But as we, as we look at it, what do we know about him? What does the Bible tell us? He's the king of Salem, verse 1. He's the priest of El Elyon, God Most High. The Most High God. 
And he met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him. He brought a blessing to him. He's a priest. We know he receives a tithe, and it's interesting because he receives a tithe before there was a law. Before there was any sacrifice. He's a priest before there was a law. Before there was any sacrifice. Man, this is like... Oh, by the way. Hermeneutics, we have this thing called the law of first mention. means the first time something's mentioned, it carries a lot of weight. First time. First priest. Melchizedek. Genesis chapter 14. So what's his meeting with Abraham look like? Go to Genesis 14, verse 17 through 20. We'll just hit the highlight real quick. It says, After his return from the defeat of Kedorlaomer, and you're welcome to try to say those Babylonian names better, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of the heavens and the earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. You remember, this is a story. When we went to Israel, we actually got to see this gate. This is a story about when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah were conquered by the armies of the five kings. They come down and they conquer Sodom and Gomorrah. They take Lot as a prisoner and they go to Dan. So, so Sodom and Gomorrah is way down in the south. Dan's way up in the north. So it's a pretty decent travel. Abraham hears about it. He gathers 318 of his trained servants and he goes out after them. We, we found the, the ancient gate of the of the city of Dan. It wasn't called Dan then, but it was the ancient gate of the city of Dan. And that's the gate Abraham walked through when he went to go get these these guys. We we stood there and looked at it. It's called the mud gates. Amazing to look at. Something that goes back to Genesis 14. Holy Land's kind of like that. So we see this gate. Well, Abraham goes, he, he conquers, he gets Lot and all the people who are taken prisoner, and he gets all their gold, and as he's coming back to go down south, he's up north, he's going down south, as he's coming down past Dan, the next big settlement he's going to pass is Salem, Jerusalem. And as he comes by, the Bible tells us, the king, Melchizedek, comes out to meet him. And he brings them bread and wine. I just find it interesting that it's bread and wine. There seems to be something about that in the Bible, right? That comes up over and over again. You know, probably what's going on, Melchizedek's just, just going to give him sustenance. But that sustenance, bread and wine, is very symbolic in the New Testament, isn't it? We just talked about it this morning. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. It's interesting that it would be that. Bread and, and wine, he comes down and he gives it to him. And then he gives him a blessing. He says, Abram, you're blessed by God most high. And God has given you, he's put your enemies into your hand. And, and God wants you to know that you're blessed by him. He's blessed by you. Man, it's a light, shining a light into the relationship that Abraham had with God. Then the Bible says Abraham gave unto Melchizedek a tenth of all. Look, there's no law and there's no tithe yet, just so you know. Abram just looked at this guy who was priest of the Most High God and said, Yeah, you can have a tenth of everything I got. Literally, the, the phrasing that's used here, you get the tenth off the top. So, so when you think about it, he got this big hoard. You know, picture it any way you want to, a big pile of gold. Okay, he's got a big pile of gold. I don't know if it was big, but he's got a big pile of gold. And all the best stuff was on the top, and that would all go to Abraham because he went and rescued all the people. That's just how it was. So he's saying to, to Melchizedek, I'm going to give you the best off the top. So what did he give him? His part. Gave him his part. Later on, the king of Sodom says, Man, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a bunch of money. And, and, the, and he said, I don't want your money. <laughs> man, I, I don't want you to say you made me rich, man. I, but I don't mind giving it to El Elyon, God Most High. 
And Abram wasn't ruled by his money. His money didn't rule him. His money was a tool that he could use for him. He gave a tenth of all. Look at verse 2. It says, And to him, Abraham apportioned the tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And he is also king of Salem. That is, king of peace. This is describing this Melchizedek. Now, Remember when I tell you about this concept of types in the Bible. They're, they're pictures, right? So when we look at the type, Melchizedek means king of righteousness, and he's the king of Salem, which means king of peace. He's a king of peace and the king of righteousness. That doesn't remind you of Jesus? See, the Bible doesn't, want, it doesn't paint a picture so we'll miss it. If the Bible paints a picture, it wants us to get it. it wants us to see what's going on. Man, this guy becomes a... A picture, a type, an example of our high priest. Who's the king of righteousness and the king of peace. It says in, uh, in verse 4, See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of his spoils. The word akrothenion means the top of the heap. He gave him the best of what he had. And this guy, he's unique among all priests. And that's what the scripture is going to tell us in verse 2 and 3. Let's look at it. And to Abraham, a portion, the tenth part of everything. He is, <clears throat> first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. He's also king of Salem, that is king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy. Having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Think of his position. King of righteousness King of peace. But then we have this phrase, without mother or father. Now this is why a lot of people say, well, that's got to be an example of Jesus, without mother or father. That's not an uncommon phrase when people are saying, we don't know who their mother and father is. We don't have to import that in. You're welcome to. I don't think it does any violence to the text, but, I, but I'm just saying it's not there. It's interesting because we have a similar phrase. If you're going to run with it that way, you need to do something with Esther. Chapter 2, verse 7. In Esther 2, 7, it says this. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle. For she had neither father nor mother. Now, we all know... Esther was born from a mother and a father. Right? So what is it that the text is really telling us? She's an orphan. Or we don't know who they are. Same thing with Melchizedek. Does, most of the time in the Bible, we go to Numbers and we read the genealogy of the priest. You guys ever read the genealogies? <laughs> you come and you open up a Bible and you start reading genealogies. You don't skip. I did, you guys remember, I did uh, First Chronicles, I think it was First Chronicles. And I was all being all tough, man, we're going to do it. I do verse by verse, we're going to work our way verse by verse. You know how many chapters of genealogies there are in First Chronicles? Like ten. So, like the third Wednesday, and we're still on the genealogies? People started looking at me like, I'm not going to come to church here no more. You better find something else to talk about. A bunch of names you can't pronounce anyway. When we look at the priesthood, what do we see in the scripture? We see their line, right? Where they came from. Who they passed it on to. Who their children were. We see all of this. But with Melchizedek, we don't see none of it. All we see in the pages of scripture is he's a priest of the Most High God. He's a priest of God Most High. We don't see who his father or mother are, right? The other phrase should give us a clue what he's talking about. It says, no genealogies. We don't know a genealogy. You should be thinking, thanking the Lord. Praise God. There's not a genealogy here. Going back, you know, 47 generations to, to, to where Melchizedek came from. There's no genealogy, no mother, no father. But what's that become? A type, a picture of who? Jesus. No mother, no father, no genealogy. Why? Because he always was. He always will be. 
It also goes on to say, having neither beginning of days, we don't read anything about the beginning of days, or end of life. Do we know when Melchizedek died? No idea. He shows up in chapter 14, and you don't read about it again until Psalm 110. So at best, you're, I'm thinking you're about a thousand years, give or take a few, from Genesis 14 to Psalm 110. And Psalm 110, all of a sudden, God... Uh, puts in the heart of the psalmist to write this phrase, the Lord has sworn, sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Hadn't talked about Melchizedek for a thousand years. We don't know the beginning of his life or the end of his days. That's a type. Who else can we say that about? The one who's eternal, right? Look guys, the picture is never as good as the real thing. You know that? How many of you guys run around, my wife went away for a weekend. Huh, babe? See? She went away for the weekend. So while she was gone, I just sat there on the couch and stared at her picture. <laughs> and I said, oh, man, she's, she's not here. This is all I have is this picture. But, but last night, when she come back home, I didn't sit there on the couch looking at the picture. Oh, the picture. Because the picture, like... I don't know, five by seven in a frame. It's not as good as the real thing. That, I don't hold on to that picture very long. It went away. I want to hold her. I want to look into her eyes. I want the reality. When we look at Melchizedek, guys, Melchizedek's not the reality of Christ. He's a picture, a painting. He helps us understand, like the example of the children of Israel entering into the promised land because they follow the priests who put their feet in the water, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which the Bible tells us is a picture of Christ. Now we want to understand Jesus. The Bible tells us Jesus is like Melchizedek. He's our priest forever. And it says, here's, here's the type, here's the picture. He has no beginning or no end. Because Jesus has no beginning or no end. That doesn't mean Melchizedek was Jesus. The scriptures don't tell us about his beginning or his end. But Jesus is the real deal. He is the reality of it all. How long is his priesthood? Scripture says he remains a priest how long? Forever. Forever. Man, it's a forever priesthood. Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Who is it that God's saying that to? Jesus. Read all of Psalm 110. Just take your time, go through, do a slow reading of Psalm 110, and you know who you're going to see on the pages? Messiah. Jesus. The priest. And he's a priest forever. And that means that he's always there in the middle of the Jordan River stopping it up so you can get across. He's always there with you in the valley of the shadow of death so you can get through. He doesn't have a day off. He doesn't die and somebody else comes up who's not such a good high priest. No, he's our priest forever. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. No relenting. He is our priest. And he is, a, a Melchizedek is a picture for us. Look at verse 4. We're still talking about the superiority of Melchizedek. Guys, look. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of his spoils. That word see. Remember earlier when we had the, the phrase, consider the high priest and apostle Jesus Christ. You remember that phrase? And I told you that consider means to think deeply about. That's the same word. Think deeply about the greatness of this guy. Think about how he's greater than Abraham. He's not somewhere underneath Abraham. This guy's over Abraham. He's, he's superior to him. And Christ is that much superior to Melchizedek, man. He's the, the fulfillment of all that we read about. Think deeply. See how great this man was to whom Abraham Gave a tenth of his spoil. And then he talks about the Levitical priesthood. And those descendants of Levi. Think about it. Who receive the priestly office. They have a commandment in the law to take tithes. Why do they, why do they take tithes? Because there was a commandment. How did that happen? God said, he had to say, thou shalt give them ten percent. 
And the people of, of Israel spent all their time developing the loopholes so they wouldn't have to do that. That's nothing new. Right? God had to give commandment for the tithe. But for Melchizedek, Abraham gave him a tithe just because he knew in his heart he wanted to honor God. Pre-law. Pre-law. Whenever, don't sweat, I'm not going to talk about giving. But whenever we talk about giving, people are always quick to say, well, I don't believe the tithe. The Bible says just, just give hilariously. Yeah, that's true. The Bible says give hilariously. And before there was a law, Abraham did it. And he gave of his best. You do what you want with it. I'm just telling you, Jesus Christ has made a way for us to cross the Jordan. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, what's going to stop us? What's going to keep us from walking across? Is it going to be my desire for riches? That's what tripped up Balaam. You remember, right? The guy who talked to the donkey? Like God told him four times, don't go, don't go, don't go, don't go. But Balaam said, man, he's going to pay me a lot of money. He's going to give me a lot of gold. He said he'll fill my house with gold. Come on, let me go. All right, Balaam. You can go. But you better not say anything I don't tell you to say. That didn't work out so good for Balaam. He was a prophet for pay. And he spoke what God didn't give him to speak, and he died in the middle of the camp of the enemy. What's going to stop you from crossing? Is it going to be heartache and pain? Is it going to be money? Is it going to be what? What is it? What will make you quit? What will make you stop? What will make you quit walking? As God says, come, come follow me. I'm in the midst of the river. The waters are stopped up. There's room for you. Come. So we see the the Levitical Wow. The Levitical priesthood. They had a commandment to receive the tithe, but what else? It also says that, that Levi was in the loins of his father Abraham when Abraham paid the tithe to Melchizedek. So Levi, in a sense, remember we're talking about pictures, right? You with me? Levi, in a sense, paid a tithe through his father, 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 Abraham. Right? Because Abraham's a father of, I am the God of Abraham. What's the next one? Isaac. What's the next one? Jacob. And then we get to Levi. So what's that? Great, great grandpa. Great, great, great grandpa. But through, because Abraham paid, Levi was also. So what's it saying? Levi is not better than Melchizedek because he gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Look at verse 6. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And blessed him who had the promises. Man, he does not have descent. He doesn't have a line. He doesn't have that pedigree. Yeah? He don't have pedigree. I got a dog without pedigree. Anybody ever had a dog without pedigree? My dog was free. I go every... Oh, well, it's true. Not too free. He probably ate a couch. He probably cost me a lot of money since I got him. But he didn't cost me anything when I got him. He is without pedigree. He, he's, he's, uh, he's, uh, his, his mom and dad had no special lineage. Yeah? He's still an amazing duck dog. But he don't have no lineage. That's what the Bible's saying here. Melchizedek doesn't have a lineage. He doesn't have a pedigree. Showing us where he came from. Showing us that, that, that there's some particular reason based on his birth and in the order and the people who are in his birth order that we should follow him. In terms of ancestry, we don't know where he comes from. In terms of the acceptance of the tithes, he got them from Abraham. In terms of blessing, the inferior is always blessed by the superior. So what happened? Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Because Melchizedek blessed Abraham, it means Melchizedek is greater than Levi. He's better. He's better. And he was becoming a picture for us. A picture of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 8, In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. 
But in the other case, by one of whom it is testified, he lives. Does the Bible tell us when he died? Nope. So far as we know, Melchizedek's still walking. He's not. It's a picture. It's a type. The Bible says, man, this one we don't see the end of. One might even say, Levi himself who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Look at the contrast of the priesthoods. This is in Greek what they call a mende construction. It's over and over in Hebrews. A mende construction in Hebrew is like, well, on the one hand, this, but on the other hand, that. On the one hand, you have Melchizedek. On the other hand, you have Levi. And one might say, on one hand, you might say, Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. Melchizedek is greater. Greater example, greater picture. A greater uh, 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 understanding we can gain by understanding that Melchizedek is a priesthood through which Jesus comes. Now, why does any of this matter? Well... Jesus was born of what tribe? He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. What tribe was the priesthood? Levi. So Judah's not Levi, so Judah couldn't be a priest. So he can't be a priest according to Levi. That would break the rules. His, the, the rules God laid out. So he's not that kind of priest. He's not a, the kind of priest who follows the succession. He's not the kind of priest that follows a genealogy. He's the kind of priest who's a priest because he's eternal. Because he's Jesus Christ. He looks just like this guy in Genesis 14. And if we look at the picture, we can begin to understand some things about our high priest from there. Okay. Genesis or, or Hebrews chapter 6 tells us, guys, come. Don't stop. Follow me through the water. Follow me into the promised land. Hebrews chapter 7 says, here's what your high priest looks like. Man, when we get to chapter 7, verse 25 and 26, it's going to tell us that Jesus Christ, as our high priest, is able to save us to the uttermost. Aren't you glad our salvation depends on Him and His strength and His ability? Because trust me, if it depends on us, we're hung. (laughs) We're not going to make it. But if it depends on Him, yeah, then, then we have a sure foundation. A priest that never quits, never stops, and is always there right when we need Him. Even if we don't know where He came from, there He is. Whether we stand at the beginning of the shadow of death or we stand at the bank of a river flooded or we stand in a hospital room hearing horrific news. No matter where we are or what we're going through, Jesus Christ is our high priest. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He's praying for us today. He will be there for you. You believe the words. One day, you're going to have to walk into the river. You're going to have to pick up your feet and follow him. Just like every one of the disciples did, right? When Jesus looked at him and said, come, follow me. And it's not going to be a question of what's it going to take to get you to follow him. The question we've got to wrestle with is what's it going to take to get me to quit? And I hope the answer is nothing. Who else has the words of everlasting life? Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity we have to just begin to scratch on the surface a little bit deeper on this concept of Melchizedek. And how he relates to our priest, our high priest, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would learn from the pictures 
Learn from those who went before us. Understand the examples that the Bible's full of. So we can say, man, I, I, I can see it's easier for me. I, you, you can throw a bunch of words at me, but it's a little better if I can put my hands and touch it and look at it with my eyes. And I can, and I can begin to understand through the illustration what's going on. Yeah, that we have a priest and he's, he's not like other priests. He's different. He's different from all other priests. He's a priest who will never quit, never stop, never take a day off. He will always be there for me. He promises me, even in the dark times, even in the hard times, He will be there. What will He bring? Bread and wine. He'll bring that which sustains me and that which will bring joy. He comes to bring a blessing, not a curse. To give me the strength that I need to continue to follow the examples of those who have gone before us. And I give him everything I got. Because I got one shot, one chance, one opportunity to leave this life and to stand before my God and King. And hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You followed me. God, I pray that that would be the cry of our heart. That there's nothing we would withhold from you, God. There's nothing that we would hold back. That we would throw our arms wide and say, it's all yours. All of it. My life. My family. My stuff. Everything I have. There's no other name under heaven that is worthy to receive all that we have but the one who came for me. The one who left the glories of heaven for the manger. The one who shows me the way. God, I pray that we will walk with you all the days of our life, that we will cross that river, that we will enter into the battles on the other side, and that we will have victory, and that we will hear from your lips one day, with you, my son or daughter, I am well pleased. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.